Well, good morning, guys. Great to be with you. Uh, my name's Luke. You haven't met you before. Hey, today we're getting to kick off a brand new series, uh, and I'm going to be honest. Uh, we're going to call this series Half a Marathon because it's going to go for quite a while. It's going to uh, see us out for about the next four months as we journey through the first letter to the Corinthians from the Apostle Paul. In this series, it's going to be called A Good Kind of Different, uh, but I'll unpack a little bit later as to why we've um, titled the series uh, by that name. Look, firstly, I actually just want us to imagine for a moment the life and the journey of the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Uh, for those of you who might know this story well, that's fine. I just want you to try and you know imagine, put yourself in his shoes, try and uh, capture what had gone on in his life and, and the journey that gets him to this point where he's writing these letters to these churches. So here we've got this man who really had one of the most dramatic uh, conversions ever that involved having a personal visit from the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, as he was on his way, so Paul is on his way to a place called Damascus to persecute and imprison Christians, doing whatever he can to get rid of uh, this, this new idea, this new wave of um, you know, people who are claiming that Jesus has, had risen from the dead, uh, that he was God's Messiah. And Paul's like, this is rubbish. He was, he was a Jew and he just didn't believe this nonsense. He was making it his goal to, to wipe uh, this cult out uh, and he gets his personal visit from Jesus. Now Paul's commitment to stamping out Christianity was turned into an unquenchable life calling to share the good news about Jesus with others. Paul journeyed far and wide, traveling through many countries and cities, preaching the gospel, seeing people respond to the good news about Jesus and then beginning churches all over the place. He would then often raise up leaders who would help oversee these new churches uh, that would then allow Paul to move on and continue uh, in his journey. Now, as these missionary endeavors continued, Paul would then write letters back to these churches that he'd often started uh, to either bring encouragement or to add some teaching uh, for them or to bring a word of correction, possibly responding to some issues that were going on uh, in these churches all around the place. Now, when we get to uh, his journey in Corinth, and we actually read about this in the book of Acts. So if you look at the book of Acts in chapter 18 is where we find Paul uh, on his journey in Corinth. Now, Corinth, it was, it was part of Greece. Uh, it was though at this time when Paul was there, it was actually under the Roman Empire. Um, but Paul uh, had come there from Athens, about a 50-mile journey west from Athens. And he arrives in Corinth, and it was a big, bustling you know, city, lots of trade happening there. And um, what Paul did when he first got there is he bumps into or somehow discovers this man called Aquila, who was also a Jew. Uh, and he got to know Aquila and his wife Priscilla, uh, actually went and stayed with them and worked with them because it turns out that Aquila and Priscilla, they were both tent makers by trade, which was the same trade that Paul had. So he stayed with them, he worked with them, you know, all throughout the week. And then Paul's custom was on the Sabbath, he would go to the local synagogue, you know, where different people would gather for religious purposes or to debate things or, you know, um, talk about philosophy and all these different ideas. And Paul would go there and he would try and reason with them, doing everything he could to convince the people there about the good news of Jesus. Uh, so Paul continued on this journey. He was there 
um, for quite some time. And, and although he regularly met fierce opposition, uh, many people became convinced by Paul's preaching and became followers of Jesus also. At the very least, Paul was in Corinth for about 18 months, uh, most likely a lot more than that. Uh, and with a growing church now established, uh, he was able to move on. I think his next place moving on from there was to Ephesus. Now, I just want you to stop and take this all in for a minute. It must have been absolutely incredible to be part of what God was doing, particularly in the shoes of the Apostle Paul. He is traveling around the place. Uh, you know, his life is on the line. There's, there's threats, there's chaos, there's, you know, uh, really full-on um, journeys that he was taken, taking. Uh, and yet he's seen God do remarkable things. He's seen so many people come to new faith in Jesus, seeing churches started and planted all over the place. Paul was seeing uh, amazing miracles. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I can't imagine really what that would have been like for him. Now, unfortunately for Paul, uh, when he would receive updates from the different churches as to how they were going, it wasn't always positive. Now, that would have been incredibly difficult for him. You know, think of the efforts and the the turmoil at times that he went through laboring and putting his life on the line to to share Jesus with others and to see these churches established. He'd get these reports back and so often they weren't positive. And this is exactly the case with the church at Corinth. In fact, Paul's letter, which is a long letter, uh, is essentially entirely a response to the issues that were happening within the church. It would be interesting to imagine... Uh, that was us, wouldn't it? You know, imagine what would it be like Paul's first letter to New Vine Church. What would the content and nature of that letter be? What a fascinating thing to consider. Well, there are actually plenty of Bible teachers who would describe Corinth as, you know, very similar to our Western culture today. And there were certain similarities as it was, you know, a bustling city. There were great trade opportunities. There was a major port for goods um, to be transported. The city had a history of being you know, highly sexually promiscuous. Uh, there was a lot of immorality in that city, but it was a, it was a happening place, a lot of diversity there. Uh, and yes, there are some similarities, but I also, I really, as we head into this series, I want us to simply recognize though, that this letter, it was written to a church in a very different time and place and culture and the letter was addressing very specific problems within that local context. Now, absolutely, we need to learn from this letter. We need to consider what it is God might be saying to us uh, in our culture and our setting today. <clears throat> but we also need to view it through the lens that it was originally intended for a different church. So let's uh, read 1 Corinthians, uh, these first few verses, which is really Paul's initial greetings. He says here in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 1 to 3, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Uh, you can read about Sosthenes in Acts 18 as well as a man by the same name that's most likely this same person. Uh, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before 
Paul jumps into his address of the problems that were going on in the church. He does what any good leader should do, and that's begin with a word of encouragement. Uh, he, he's got this bit right, hasn't he? Uh, Paul here, he reminds his readers that they are part of God's church. And not just in Corinth, but all over the place. They're a part of something so much bigger than themselves. And then he also reminds them that they have been sanctified and called to live a holy life. Now, this is actually a key concept and reminder that actually sets a great theme for the entire letter. That is this reality, that we have been made holy. Depending on the translation, it might say holy, or it might use the word sanctified, it might call people a saint. But Paul is describing something that has happened through faith in Jesus. They've been cleansed and forgiven of their sins. They are a new creation. They belong in God's family as God's children. And this is all a gift of grace through faith in Jesus. I love how it describes this um, picture of being holy in Hebrews 10, uh, read from verses 10 to 14. It says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honour at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who were being made holy. This reality is such an incredible gift. Uh, if you're someone who struggles with the guilt of your past, wondering if God could really accept you in knowing the things that you have done, please be reminded today that God doesn't look at you and see sin and shame. If you've put your faith in Jesus, God sees you as a saint, someone who has been cleansed from all sin and has now been made holy. For this reason, we have confidence to come before our holy God and uh, come before him knowing that we have right standing and right relationship and can even be called friends with God. This is a wonderful truth that I want to make sure we grab a hold of. Now, one of the problems that Paul is potentially alluding to here is that the Corinthian believers, yes, they knew that they'd been made holy, but they were potentially using this as a license to live however they wanted, even dabbling in pretty horrible sin, you know, maybe getting sucked into the culture of the time and place they were living in. What Paul is wanting them to remember is that not only have they been made holy, you know, something that has happened, but they also need to continue being holy. I heard it described this way. It's like we have this idea of, you know, positional holiness or positional sanctification. Uh, we have right standing with God because we've been cleansed of all our sin. It's our, it's our position before God. But also there's this sense of um, progressive sanctification where we are being sanctified. We are being made holy. So yes, we are holy but we are also being made holy. It's one of the beautiful mysteries in life in God's kingdom 
where we have been sanctified or made holy and yet we're still in this journey of sanctification and being made holy. This means that we have been set apart in order that we might align ourselves with Jesus and life in his kingdom, you know, being governed by this law of love that has been written on our hearts. This is what should cause followers of Jesus to stand out or be different from the world around them in a good way. We should live according to our new sanctified and holy nature in Jesus. The problem for Corinthian, the Corinthian believers is that they were slipping or drifting away from the kind of life that Jesus had called them to live, the kind of life that Jesus desired them to live. They often had a tendency to actually like claim this sense of lofty spirituality and, and superiority, and yet in moral practice, when it came to living it out, were often no different from the worldly culture around them. Or even times where Paul actually said things like, you know what, uh, you even are doing things that are shameful for those in the world, shameful for those outside of the church. So you can see there was a, there's a massive disconnect there between them understanding um, they had been sanctified and they had been made holy, but then living out, um, continuing in that holiness. So a good kind of different, this being the title of the series, um, it's because this is what Paul was really addressing in this letter. He's trying to help this church realize that the gospel and life in Jesus' kingdom should shift and influence the way we think and behave towards all areas of life. Paul actually gets um, super practical throughout this letter, addressing you know, a whole bunch of different areas of life. Things like you know, looking at divisions that have been caused from people aligning with certain leaders and different ideas. Uh, doesn't that sound like a picture of our society today? You know, in the political climate that we're in, or different ideas within church. You know, it causes great division because you're like, no, I think this way, you think that way. Therefore, there's this huge division. Um, Paul addressed things like you know, resting on human knowledge and understanding rather than trusting in God's wisdom and His power. Uh, he addresses sexual immorality. He talks about things like singleness and marriage and divorce, uh, thinking of um, others before yourself. He addresses pride. He looks at how we judge others. He talks about these gray areas of sin, uh, taking each other to court, the way Christians treat non-Christians and many other topics. And really what we want to do is look at, okay, how is it uh, that the gospel should shape the way that we live? How is it that we live out this idea that we have been made holy, it should cause difference in the way that we live. Now, sometimes Christians can find themselves caught in this tension of either being so much like their culture that there's either no difference in the way that they live. Uh, and other times Christians can be so incredibly different and removed from their culture that there's this huge disconnect between them and others. Paul was reminding them before he even addresses the issues that they are to be a good kind of different in this world, called to be God's holy people. Now, as, um, just the next passage we're going to look at uh, before we wrap up today is these verses 4 to 9. And I love how Paul is almost giving this thanksgiving prayer that demonstrate Paul's complete confidence, not in the Corinthian Christians, but confidence in God to keep building his church and help it to remain strong to the end. So here's what it says. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. 
For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is an amazing encouragement for us all. Do you sometimes even question on a personal level um, whether you're actually growing as a follower of Jesus? I know I do. Uh, Maybe you question whether you have the capacity to live out this calling to be holy, uh, whether or not you're being this good kind of different in the world. Well, we need to be reminded today that it's actually not entirely up to us. Instead, God is the one who is faithful. He is the one who will keep us strong as we keep our focus on Jesus. This is a remarkable thing to say to a church that has a lot of problems. But Paul reminds them here that first, you know, before he addresses all these issues, he tells them, God's grace has been given to them through Jesus. They have been enriched in every way. Uh, They do not lack any spiritual gift. And this promise that God will keep them strong and blameless to the end. Now, why could he say that? Well, it certainly wasn't because of the Christians at Corinth and their superiority and the fact that they had it all together. No, in fact, Paul is actually using this as a chance uh, to remind them of this important truth. As some of them, you know, they almost became overly proud and confident in themselves. What Paul was doing here is saying, no, this is all possible only because God is faithful and he will do it. There is no boasting or pride in self-effort. Any health or growth in the church, it's all because of God. It's all because of his grace. So this is great news for us, you know, as we embark on this journey of tackling 1 Corinthians. God is faithful to build and to strengthen his church. As we humbly trust in his ability, uh, definitely not our own ability. And as we keep our focus on our fellowship or relationship with Jesus. There's no promise that churches will grow or, or thrive while ever people think that they are the ones creating the health or the growth. Paul calls for a humble trust in God's grace and in God's faithfulness. On a personal level, uh, for you in your world, I want you to be encouraged to continue trusting in God for ongoing strength, uh, for ongoing growth in your own personal faith journey and to believe in that for those closest to you as well, whether that's friends or family or children, uh, God can continue to grow faith in his people and in his church. Consider this fact that the Apostle Paul, he was about to start addressing a very long list of huge problems concerning the life of this church at Corinth. And yet here he is beginning the letter demonstrating such confidence in God's ability to strengthen and sustain them to the end. Praise God for that kind of faith and trust that the Apostle Paul demonstrated. Uh, may we too you know, embrace that and have that same kind of faith and trust in God to keep 
um, growing us and our families and our church. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or for four days, this should be a great encouragement to us all because as we continue our relationship with Jesus, we can trust God to grow and strengthen our life of faith. We have been made holy. We have been sanctified. So there is no shame or guilt in coming to God who will continue the journey of sanctification and making us holy, allowing us to be the good kind of different to the world around us. Let's be that kind of people that live out who we already are in Christ. We have been made holy. We've been set free. uh, And God will continue to grow in us and help us to live out this, this life of being a good kind of different the world around you. God's working in you. God is working in his church and he is faithful to finish the work that he has begun. God bless you guys.